This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chase Down Podcast presents A City of Champions, a seven-part series chronicling the Cavs' 2016 NBA championship. With help from fans who cheered against us, reporters who covered it, and the players who watched it, we'll take you game by game through the most improbable 3-1 comeback in championship history. Be sure to subscribe to the Chase Down Podcast to relive the greatest series we've seen in our lifetimes. One dribble steps back, puts up a three, won't go, rebound tip taken by Spades, final second, it's over, it's over! Cleveland is a city of champions once again! The Cavaliers are NBA champions! The series begins Thursday, April 9th. All right, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, your online wagering solution. We're joined by Dan Favalli here today. We're going to talk about Rockets, Lakers, a potential playoff preview if the playoffs happens, you know, which is still up in the air. But yeah, this was a fun one. I hope you guys enjoyed. Blue Liar. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is off the What's up, guys? Like Nick Juice Podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Dan Favalli. He writes for Bleacher Report and the, is the host of the Hardwood Knox Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. How are you holding up, man? I am doing well, especially relative to the circumstances. So I won't complain when so many people have it so much worse than I do. That's all I can really say. How about yourself? So, have you ever watched like a scary movie in the in theaters, and like on the way out of the theater, everything around you becomes like a potential threat, and you're just like <laughs> rushing to your car, and like the walk up to your front door is like the scariest thing in the world? Uh, yeah, been there, been there. Yeah, so that's the level of paranoia I'm experiencing right now with the coronavirus. Like, it's like every time I have to leave the house to accomplish like a small task, like I always have my face mask on me, and I always have my hand mm-hmm. hand sanitizer. And in my brain, everything around me, like every hard surface, every object, every person has coronavirus. And I know it's irrational. I know it's like I'm being paranoid, but it's just it's in my head all the time. It's also but it's also rational at this point, too. And I'm not a very like I'm pretty easygoing, except when it comes to work. Like I'm very high strung and anxious when I mean, you know, the industry that we're in. So like stuff like that gets me. But I'm normally pretty like calm. Um just about everything else. And I'm even paranoid with the coronavirus. And I think we probably need paranoia at this point to make sure that uh, the the world, not even just the country, but the world at large is, is as safe as, as possible at this point. Yeah, it's a problem with young people too, right? Because I have a younger brother and he just will not listen to any of the guidelines. Like, it's, it's, it's a good thing that the local government is stepping up and closing things down because this guy would still go out if not for if not for the guidelines they're putting in place like it's like it's one of those things where they do not understand like what they're this, this isn't about them it's about everybody else it's like even if you're 
if, if you're not a high risk population, if you're someone who's just, you know, a pretty healthy person, not, you don't have any autoimmune disorders or whatever, like mm-hmm. you're affecting other people by playing this dangerous game. Right. And it's, I, I struggle to see how people just don't understand that or don't care about that, but it's even worse when it's not really just young people either. There are government officials that don't under understand that, uh, cough, Georgia cough. So like that, that's, what's really <laughs> alarming about all this. <laughs> Yeah, and I live in Texas, so like it's it's only a matter of time here, and it's it's right. it's scaring the hell out of me. But um, you know what? We're gonna power through it, and we're gonna get to this podcast. So I feel like so what we're doing today is obviously we're continuing our potential playoff series. And I feel like the central question here to start with is pretty obvious: Do you think we'll have an NBA playoffs this year? I really hate to be a pessimist and I don't have any inside knowledge. It's just a gut feeling. And then, you know, you talk to people who are actually plugged in and it might've just sensed pessimism as well. I would be a little bit surprised if we have an, an NBA season at this point, maybe they really go full bore uh, at some point and decide to play in, in a bubble where they have all the teams, just the playoff teams come to one location or, or two locations, whatever it's going to end up being. But uh, I think you and I discussed this briefly a, a couple of weeks back. I I would be fairly surprised at this point if we if we get a, a playoff in in any form really. So up until two weeks ago, I was where you were at. I was on team. There's not going to be a playoffs this year. But then I conducted this straw poll, which included you and like 30 other people uh, in and around the league. So NBA media agents, players. And there seems to be a growing optimism that there will be a playoffs. And what I keep getting back is there's just too much financial incentive there. Like the league is already hemorrhaging money. Like they're just bleeding. And having a playoffs is the easiest way to minimize the salary cap hit. And so I I still, you know, I'm still pretty pessimistic. But I, I think I now recognize the pretty heavy financial incentives there. Yeah, and it's... I, I totally get that, and it wouldn't surprise me, especially if the NBA is willing to just wait as long as possible where, you know, if, if we need to have the finals in November or something. Like, if that's their timeline, then, yeah, maybe they can force it or, or will it to happen. And one of the other things and I've been talking with uh, an, an agent that I didn't really realize is there's going to be a push from probably these teams that made these win-now moves in the middle of the season. You look at, like, the Clippers might be a perfect example. I'm not saying Steve Ballmer would recklessly try and make sure games happen but would you have given up as much as you did for marcus morris who's going to be a free agent um when if you knew that there was a good chance or even a possible chance that there wouldn't be uh, the playoffs and so there's aside from money at stake like now you've actually burned assets that you can use to build out your team in the future to focus on winning now when the now is actually in jeopardy yeah i've looked at all these playoff teams and i can't find one that would argue for postponing the playoffs. Like, all these teams have incentive. <laughs> and, and including, like, you mentioned uh, the win-now moves from the general managers. Like, you're talking about the players. Like, players like Chris Paul, LeBron James, like, these guys are in the last years of their prime. And you're talking about incentive to finish it out strong. Like, there's plenty there. And you're, and you're looking at, obviously, the win-now moves from the executives. And obviously, like... You talking about the luxury tax implications of not right. having a playoffs this year? Like you t- these, some of these owners, and especially the team that I cover, uh, <laughs> th- th- they are not going to be happy about the hit that this is going to cause them. I mean, it's going to be lots and lots and lots of money, and the, and you know these these executives they plan for years on out, uh, you know, and they include the luxury tax into their equation, 
And this has completely screwed all that up. Nobody saw this coming, and this is something they just now have to work around. They're already, like, Daryl Morey came out last week and talked about how they're already planning for the offseason. They're already planning for free agency. They're, they're planning for trades. They're planning for all that stuff, draft, all that stuff right now because the, the, nobody has any clue what's going to happen next. Right, and I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there is a playoffs and that no matter how it happens, at least we have to assume that should there should the postseason take place, that circumstances have improved at least to some degree to maybe where you can get to a point where it's it's safe or, or semi-okay to, you know, even if it's isolate teams themselves and, and hold the playoffs in a central location. I guess at this point, though, it has to be, is it almost a given that the regular season is just done? Because even if you can squeeze in games, like, what are you, what is the incentive for Draymond Green, Draymond Green to ever play again? this year for a team like the Warriors. I just don't know how, um, even for a team like Portland, that might be the nine seed, depending on how many games you can actually squeeze in, playing five or six regular season games actually isn't going to mean anything to them. And so, yeah, there's there's revenue involved there, but I don't know how you get um, th- the players, one, ready to play, but then up for those games that for close to half the league at that point, or even more, if you're looking at certain playoff seed ba- battles, those games are going to end up being less than meaningless. Yeah, I talked about this with TJ McBride in terms of like the the run up. Like, if there is a run up, it's gonna be like five games. Like, I can't see it being any more than that because, I mean, there's you're talking about the kind of games they're gonna have to play. Obviously, there's there, the the possibility of fans to me that's out the window. Like, there's not gonna be fans at any of these games if they start. Right. But it's strictly gonna be a televised product. I don't know what classifies as essential personnel in that case. Like, the, is media gonna be there? Like, is it just gonna be the the teams and the coaches are like are you know the GMs gonna be there? Are like like who classifies as someone who needs to be in that building? And how many can you have in a building? Like, what mm-hmm. kind of guidelines are the CDC going to put in place? You know, for events like that, I I don't know. Like, there's just so much uncertainty from the government on down to the to the NBA. Like, we, I mean, it's going to take at least another two weeks before we get any sort of clarity on when the league returns, much less if the league returns. Yeah, and I, you know, from the numbers, like if you look at, you mentioned like what a you know basketball operations part, even if that's what it's limited to. I, I would love to know what the average number of people would be deemed essential per team. Like, is it 50 per, per game or something like that? And then you have to deal with the possibility of what if someone tests positive for the coronavirus during all this, then you just automatically have to shut down all over again. And so I don't even know how you get to a point where you play without without fans in a, in a singular location uh, unless testing is so – I know that teams have, have had access to it that – regular citizens have not but you actually really need to have like not just access but those tests need to be like turned around in a few hours as as well so that you can deal with the possibility of oh if someone gets hit with this again then you have to be prepared to to shut everything down once more yeah i i don't see a situation in which the league continues and everybody is not tested because these asymptom these asymptomatic carriers are like the real issue here right because like right we, we don't know we still don't know who has coronavirus and who doesn't and I, 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 you, you'd have this whole bubble scenario that everybody keeps talking about. Like you're, you're talking about potentially testing hotel employees. You're, you're talking about potentially testing, you know, everybody they've been in contact with. Like you're talking about a lots, lots and lots of people having to be pretty much enclosed in their home and only attending work. Uh, it's, it's so co- the logistics are so complicated that I, you know, it, it's hard to envision. But I, but that's the only way you could potentially make this through, make make this go through, is like having one centralized location. You know, perhaps in La, in Las Vegas, perhaps in Los Angeles, where, wherever, just one location, one hotel 
only a certain amount of employees allowed to go into every room and you know all those all the equipment they they use all that stuff has to be sanitized and rubbed down like that that's just so much to, to put to take into account here and you know i i, I don't know how the league's going to do it it's going to be a real balancing act here uh i i but i tend to think there's just too much incentive for them not to have it at this point yeah, the logistics of like whatever it ends up being when you're talking about em- employees at a hotel or something, I would assume you're in the thousands then, maybe a couple thousand people. The logistics of essentially having to quarantine all those people is is kind of absurd. But at the same time, I, I mean, the I guess really the takeaway from this discussion is money tends to find a way and there is a lot of money at stake. And so there there might be a good chance I'm wrong, but I think maybe I'm just too pessimistic since we're now you know, day 40 plus into life without sports. Maybe just pessimism is, has overtaken me fully. No, listen, I, I was with you, man. Like, uh, <laughs> and, and the vaccinations like that, that to me is, is what just, it just looms over everything, right? Like we're, we're a year and a half away from vaccinations being possible with this thing. And we still don't know if, you know, carriers of the coronavirus, like that people that have had the coronavirus, excuse me, have antibodies like we still haven't yep. tested all those people we don't know if these guys can combat or are immune to, to having coronavirus again like that's still unknown uh we just have to listen to dr Fauci at this point everything that man speaks has to be the bible like we just have to have yep. him on television doing as many interviews as possible uh because we need to get this information out and I, i'm sure adam silver is doing everything he can to make sure he's putting in all the safety the proper safety precautions but it's just it's hard not to wonder yeah, and it's you know you look at the playoffs specifically. Maybe they're sort of a good case study for how you go about next year. But then it's also difficult for me to even think about you know if we lost this season. Yes, it would suck. But like I'm in my head when you look at how far we are away from a vaccination, you're already talking about probably no fans at games to at least start next season, if not for the entire year. It feels like, and so I've already entered into mode of are we going to have a next season? Like let's, if this season gets canceled, when are they going to be able to start back up again? Will they be able to start back up again? There's just, there's so much at stake and there's so much we still don't know, even after dealing with this now for basically a, you know, I guess it really hasn't been in the the public conscious, the national conscious more than maybe a month and a half, but we're like two months into this or whatever. And there's just still so much we don't know. And there's still just so many hurdles in front of us and that's why it's so tough to reconcile i love talking about hoops because it's an escape but it's so tough to reconcile or even guess what's going to happen just because we are so outside the know it really just isn't even funny yeah um and we didn't even get into the possibility of of the players wanting a a training camp which is like just an entirely different discussion like i i don't even know if that's even a possible thing you could do but the, but that seems to be all, like what all the medical personnel and all the team doctors that's what all the, that's what they seem to want at this point they want these players to prevent themselves from getting injured again and having some yep. sort of training camp uh but yeah i mean i i, I you'd have to for me if there is going to be playoffs like every series has to be limited to like five games like I, I don't i don't see any way you have a full seven game series for what is it four playoff rounds like i there's just no way like that's just yeah maybe the finals I guess if, if even that yeah that that that's just that's just too many games it's too many people and there's just and we're talking about again all these employees that have to be involved that's just there's just too much to work out there I think you'd have to get this in and out within a month and at most like it, normally the playoffs stretches into two months but like this, there's there's no way you can get it done uh, in two months in, in the normal fashion everything has to be you know tight in in, in a very orderly fashion. And depending on when it happens, if we're talking about 
you know, late summer, early fall, we might get some ugly basketball. Two week, a yeah. two week training camp isn't really going to help guys who haven't been been able to play basketball at a real authentic level for at that point. What are we talking about? Four or five months or, or something like that? Because even when it's the off season, at least you have access to go to these uh, public runs. You can have pickup games. Uh, I don't. I don't know now. You know, your most of these places, depending on where you live, I guess if you have to, if you're forced to stay at home, and I'm sure teams, regardless of where players are located, are going to want them to stay at home. How many of these guys even have the room to to practice dribbling? I'm sure just some of them are in the, in their living room because I'm sure it's a very small percentage that have actually home gyms. And so if we end up having a a truncated playoffs where they have to take place in a month or or five weeks or something, and it's four or five months after these guys last played basketball, we might be in for some some truly ugly postseason play. Yeah, only J.J. Redick has it figured out. Like, I was listening to a podcast of his, and he talked about how he's going to this this private facility where, like, everything's being sanitized. I'm like, man, this guy's, like, probably a top 20 percentile player in the NBA. Like, he's the only kind of player that will have access to this kind of stuff. I, I don't see a player like Austin Rivers being able to, like, leave his apartment and going to a private facility and have access to his own like sanitized baths. Like that's just not every player can do that. And like that, that that's, that's another hurdle, like getting all these players in shape. But again, we're, we're getting way far out. Assuming, <laughs> assuming there is a playoffs. Uh, I think we're talking about Rockets Lakers as a probable third round series. I don't know how likely this is to happen. Like, like, so I think a Rockets-Lakers series would be really compelling, and I think it would be really mm-hmm. fun, all the matchups and stuff. I think the Rockets have too many roadblocks on their way to the finals, considering especially if they freeze the standings and go into the playoffs. They're a six seed right now. They're going to have to play every single series on the road. They're going to have to play some really good teams in the Nuggets and the Clippers. Um, I, I don't know. Like, like I, I, th- I have pretty good confidence against them, against the Nuggets with the, as, as it concerns the Rockets. I don't know how likely it is to get past the Clippers and, and play the Lakers. That's, I mean, you even look at that, let's just say they made the finals. That road would be daunting to have to go through the Nuggets, Clippers, and Lakers. Just, it's not, yeah, they're the top three teams in the West, so that matters, but they're also probably three of the most difficult matchups for them when you look at their roster. I just feel like uh, the Clippers can play any way they want to, and so if they want to lean into microball the way the Rockets have, they technically could. And then the Lakers and Nuggets are probably, in at least to me, the only real two teams who play bigger in the West that might be able to make Houston pay for the way that they play a little bit. And so to have to go through all three of them um, to just entertain making the finals is just absolutely bonkers. It's going to be a bloodbath. It it really is. Like it's going to be one of those things where like, if they get to a series with the Lakers, they're just going to be dog tired. Like they're just going to, they're going to be playing a lot of basketball. Cause you think all these series are going to go to at least, you know, four or five games. I mean, if we're talking about a truncated, you know, playoff schedule, like Mm -hmm. they're, they're going to play all every single game. Like they're, they're, they're going to have to play a bunch of games on their way uh, to the Western conference finals. But, I'm just going to assume for this scenario, we're going to assume that they make it. They're in the Western Conference Finals. They're Rockets, Lakers. That's that's the matchup. I micro ball has dramatically affected the way I think about this series. So the sample size is pretty small, and I usually don't put too much weight into one game. But that February seventh matchup really influenced the way I look at this series because it confirmed a lot of what I had, what I thought about it going in. Because like there are certain players on this Lakers team that just won't be able to play in a series against the Rockets. Like Kyle Kuzma logged twenty minutes, Javale McGee logged sixteen, Dwight logged four four minutes, Rajon Rondo logged fifteen, and he was a negative fourteen. Like in contrast, <laughs> like 
the Rockets played like their regular rotation without much adjusting. All the adjustments came from the Lakers end of things. Like microball and the lack of depth is going to be a problem for this specific Lakers team. Yeah, and the way they, even though it's, I haven't, I saw that game. It was, I think, it was on trade deadline day. It was was that February sixth when they played each other? Yeah, and, it might have been on trade deadline day or right after. Robert Covington played his first game though. Right, that's what I. That's why I remember it. Um, although it's almost three months ago at this point too, so it's tough to remember. But what was actually um, telltale for me is the Rockets kind of. I won't say they let, but Anthony Davis was able to eat, and it never really sort of mattered. And so if that's your probably your biggest obstacle in this series, I know LeBron James exists, but it's you look at how they're going to play and who do you want on Anthony Davis a majority of the time because PJ Tucker just he can only he can't be on like you can't beyond both ad and lebron it's just too much and i don't know that covington really stands up um to either of those players i've always thought he's better against um he's a really good team defender but he just seems like he's better against probably slider wings as opposed to bigs or just those those bigger wings and so that's probably still an issue but it's like you mentioned the 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 depth that the lakers have has probably outperformed expectations this year uh but there are circumstances where a lot of these guys can be played off the floor and you're looking specifically at, you know, you mentioned some of the players already, but you kind of have to wonder like, yeah, Davis at the five is a solution and he's not going to be run off the floor defensively, but all these other guys, what are you going to do during the, the LeBron list minutes where, you know, he'll be playing more time in the playoffs, but that still those what four to six, seven minutes a game, they can shift an entire series. We saw it with um, Joel Embiid in the Sixers, last year in the postseason was he was off the court. And I know that offense hasn't necessarily been the Lakers' problems when James is off the court, but that's even more scary because you're not going to get, when you're looking at Rondo, when you're looking at Kuzma and how many minutes they're going to have to play with Anthony Davis, it's hard enough to defend the Rockets as is when you're the Lakers and you have your best players on the floor around Davis at the five. But you think about even those just few minutes a game that LeBron will be off the court, they could really just end up falling into a massive hole. And so, yeah, they, they'd probably be the favorites just by virtue of their record and what they did during the regular season. But as far as matchups go, if you had to list them out uh, of the potential matchups in the Western Conference Finals, I don't think the Rockets come close to being, you know, they might be the worst matchup for the Lakers at that point, aside from the Clippers. No, I agree. I agree. Like, specifically all these centers, like, they just can't play. Like, JaVale, Dwight, like, Kuzma to some extent. Like, all these bigs are just not going to be able to play. Like, I don't see a scenario where Frank Vogel doesn't start the series with Anthony Davis at the five. Like, you just can't right. play around here. Like, I, 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 any minutes you lose to the Rockets, like, just blowing you out like that, like, that's just going to cost you in the long run. You can't even afford to play games there. You have to start off with your best lineup. And I think the Rock, the, the Lakers' best lineup it has Anthony Davis at the five, as you mentioned. And, you know, all these non-shooters that the Lakers have, like, that's going to be a problem in a, in a series where floor space is going to be a major issue. And, you know, obviously the, the Lakers have pretty pretty decent defensive flexibility, I would say, like uh, top to bottom. They, they have a lot of quality defenders, but the type of defenders they have are just going to be a little less in effect, a little less effective against the Rockets than they would in any other series. Yeah, they're almost a lot of them are single position defenders, and that's where you're going to run into issues with the Rockets where there just really aren't positions outside of what Russell Westbrook does, I feel like at this point and then you sort of mentioned it with the the three-point shooting the Lakers are not just a good shooting team in the collective but also you know the frequency with which they take threes it's 24th and so if you do fall down in a game like it might just be harder to claw back into it because you one don't have 
um, these certified shot makers from the outside. And then you're not really used to, re- to relying on that as much. And the Rockets will live with, you know, and if you want to post up Anthony Davis, fine, they'll, they'll live with that. He's shooting, you know, 46% in the post this year about, they'll be fine with that. Even if he shoots in the, in the fifties, like that's just something that they'll live with. And like you said, it was one game, but the fact that they were really able to give Anthony Davis his, and then still kind of pull away so single-handedly it would certainly be something to watch and then you have to cake in the variance of uh in this playoff series like oh these teams haven't played in a while and so which team is going to be better suited um to to navigate that long sabbatical they've had i'm not saying it will necessarily be the rockets but there's a chance that it could just because i feel like their their roster is probably deeper with players um that 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 fit a playoff rotation than the Lakers. And so that could end up being probably, that was probably a weird way to phrase it, but that could end up being a massive difference too, that you probably have to factor in for all these playoff series. Now, and you're looking at how long it's been since all these teams played with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Arc who's a partner, bet online stores hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All over 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, all caps, all in word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think the the Rockets are going to play like their usual eight man rotation. The Lakers might have to play like six or seven guys. Like, I, there's only, like, I'm looking at the lineups right now. I'm just like, yeah, this guy can't play. This guy can't play. This guy can't. So we're talking about, like, you know, trimming the rotation by, like, 25 to 30%. And that, that that's, you know, that collective load that LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to have to take on, that's going to be a lot. That's going to bear on them in a series. And take the following sentence with the biggest grain of salt. So LeBron in this game, again, one game, big grain of salt. 18 points, 8 of 19 from the field, uh, and just generally struggled. He had 15 assists, so that's obviously great, but he generally struggled against the type of defenders the Rockets have to throw at him. So they have P.J. Tucker, they have Robert Covington. I think you'll see looks where uh, Eric Gordon's guarding him. Like, they have just a bunch of, you know, obviously Daniel House. You'll see a, the Rockets have a bunch of switchable defenders to throw at LeBron. It's kind of unique for the Western Conference. I, I don't think you, there's, you know, I think the Clippers have a lot, obviously. But other, <laughs> other than that, other than the Clippers, the Rockets are kind of uniquely situated to kind of throw multiple looks at LeBron. Now, over the course of a playoff series, that's not going to really matter because LeBron's going to be LeBron. But I think it'll slow him down a little bit. And when you add on the fatigue he's going to take on, because guys like Dwight and um, uh, JaVale just can't play, and he's going to have to take on more minutes at bigger positions, I, I, it could really take a load on him. And he, he might just be a less efficient player in this series. Yeah, there's a chance. And we've seen that in the past that teams, if LeBron, you know, his mindset is going to be to pass first anyway. But if you don't have guys who are hitting their, their outside shots or he's in a position where he needs to be more of a scorer, we've seen him play more efficiently than we're used to from him and teams can beat his squads in those situations and so it'll be interesting to see how far they would need to extend him in this series you, you might quickly get to a point where it's if Anthony Davis isn't on the court and LeBron is is, is he your center now uh it's 
it's I think the, probably the best way to put it would be it's wildly unsettling how important someone like Markeith Morris could end up being in a series like this for the Lakers. And that might describe their rotation conundrums better than anything right now. So who's the biggest X factor in this series for you? So for me, I have Robert Covington. So in this matchup against the Lakers, he had 14 points, eight rebounds, four assists, two blocks, and he was four seven from three-point range. Like That's the kind of production the Rockets need from him to have a chance in this series, particularly the weak side shot blocking, which is a skill I didn't really know he had until he played bigger positions for the Rockets, and the rebounding. like Those two things, Like he has to play big in order to have a chance against like he's obviously going to have to shoot good from beyond the arc but that's like you know that's too obvious but the big man qualities like i think that's really got to stand out for him to be an x factor and i think if he can play like that the rockets have a chance but if he's if he's not playing you know consistently having those weak side shot blocking opportunities and consistently you know putting up like 7 to 10 rebounds a game they're toast they're they're completely screwed <laughs> Yeah, I, he might be my pick as well. I, I might leave it more open-ended where I'm looking at, when you look at the Rockets roster, and just because there's only been that one game sample size, who's the player that ends up guarding Anthony Davis the most in this series? Is it Robert Covington? Is it, you know, do they change the way that, like you said, they'll throw a bunch of different people at LeBron, so is it possible that P.J. Tucker ends up seeing the the most time on him? Is it Daniel House? I just, I might turn to, just default to that person, because if if there is going to be a problem for the Rockets, I would think it's because... Anthony Davis just does some serious damage through throughout the series because they don't have a means of of stopping him. And if you know they're a team because they shoot so many threes, it definitely works. But that high variance has to be baked in. And so if you catch one or two bad games, particularly if this ends up being a a best of five series, um, letting up big detonations from Anthony Davis could end up being uh, just huge when looking at the the potential outcome of the series. So I'd, I'd just be curious, and you could, I'm assuming, can answer this better than I could, but who ends up spending the most time guarding Anthony Davis for this Houston team? So I have a question for you. What if the Rockets just lean into all their strong qualities and just go, screw it, we're going to have James Harden guard Anthony Davis for the series? Like what, what, what? Like what if they lean into? He's an awesome post defender. Uh, that, that's that's obviously the the skill we tout all the time to the media. We're we're gonna we're gonna have him guard him for the majority of the series. Obviously not full time, but I mean I'm looking at the rest of the players on this on this Lakers roster. I don't see a better matchup for James Harden to be guarding other than Anthony. Like I think I think you just go full bore with it. Like I I think you you utilize it to the maximum, and I think. You know, I, I, I don't I don't know how effective it will be, but I talked about this in uh, the Nuggets pr- playoff preview. I think he's going to guard Jokic. I really do. I, I think I think the the Rockets are going like if when they made this trade, they made a bunch of sacrifices in the way they, they guard players. I think I think James Harden's going to be a player that they use uniquely defensively throughout the course of the playoffs, throughout the close of the playoffs. And I and I'm not sure if people expect that but i it'd be interesting to see if the rockets try that out in game one and, and decide you know what this is a look we really like and we're gonna stick with it for the entire series it makes it does make sense because if having james harden on Effie davis tempts the lakers into really milking Effie davis in the post like you're winning if the lakers resort to yeah. Effie davis post-ups like that's how i look at it i'd just be worried about especially if he's already defended Jokic in a previous series the beatdown that he's still going to take defensively where these guys might go up after their their own shots and just them. You know, Anthony Davis doesn't have this, like, huge body, but he's he's bigger and, and he's springy, and that's going to take a lot out of him. And so you're already dealing with someone who carries this obscenely heavy 
offensive workload. And so you're putting a lot of trust in him to be able to carry that both ways, or at least to say, hey, Russell Westbrook um, can really end up leading us for, for long stretches on offense. And so that would be that would have to be a calculated gamble, but that is definitely an interesting way to frame it. I mean, that's, that's a great point. The, exha- the exhaustion the Rockets are going to have throughout the course of a playoffs. I mean, just playing this style in general takes a lot. Like, P.J. Tucker is going to be gassed by the time they, they get right. to the Western Conference Finals. But I think that's just something that, like, like in order to maximize their roster strengths, I just think that that's, that's, not, that's something the Rockets calculated when they made that trade. Robert Covington when they traded Clint Capella I think they made that calculation internally like we're we're just gonna have to play with like 150 percent effort in every single game and all our small guys are gonna have to guard bigs and we're just gonna have to play bigger than what we actually are as a unit in order to maximize our strengths on offense which is obviously the whole point of the trade right they made this trade Mm -hmm. so James Harden and Russell Westbrook could thrive uh, the last uh, last matchup against the against the Lakers, Westbrook had 41 points, eight rebounds, five assists. He he obviously thrives in this microball eco ecosystem, and I think as you mentioned, putting a, a more of an onus on Westbrook might be something the Rockets go for as a sacrifice to putting Harden on Anthony Davis. You know, it's just it's just a theory. You know, I I I really it's possible the Rockets just play it safe and have PJ Tucker guard uh, Anthony Davis for the course of a series, but I think that's an interesting matchup that I really want to see. Like if 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 there's a run up to the playoffs, I want to see how the how the the league re restructures their schedule. And if there's any matchup against the Lakers, I really want to see how the Rockets play the Lakers in a in just a one game matchup. I want to see if they try it out because obviously at the end of the season, all you have left is experimentation. So if, mm-hmm. if if the Rockets want to try James Harden on bigs for the rest of the season, that might be something interesting to watch. It is kind of wild that if if there isn't a regular season and they still default to having Harden defend bigs, that their path to the finals would have to include getting past the two teams that are best built to challenge that with Jokic and Denver and then having Anthony Davis um, uh, on the Lakers. I, I would think you, but the, the safe assumption would have to be just because you laid it out like that would, ha- they have to go to it at some point, regardless of what happens. Maybe it's not a crutch that they use defensively, but just looking at the way they're built, I feel like that's something that has to happen at least somewhat frequently over the course of a whatever game series against the Lakers. Yeah, I don't see a series in which Harden isn't guarding Anthony Davis for at least like five minutes a game. Like, I, like I, I don't, I don't see a scenario where where that doesn't happen because Mike D'Antoni's just such an experimentation kind of coach. He's gonna try that, and and the Rockets already know internally that that Harden's good at guarding this kind of a play. And as you mentioned earlier, the points per possession give up that the Rockets are giving with Anthony Davis uh, in the in the post, as opposed to as opposed to LeBron James running a pick and roll, like they'll they'll t- they'll take that any day of the week. They'll take that trade off any day of the week if they're gonna if the Lakers are gonna continually feed Anthony Davis and even if he's relatively successful against James Harden, that's just such a less efficient play than having you know obviously LeBron in a, fl- a space floor and pick and roll situations. I think I think the Rockets would take that and obviously this is a mathematically driven organization. They look at this kind of stuff. I wonder if they if if you know the front office goes to Mike D'Antoni for the series and say if they want to tr- if they want to feed Anthony Davis, let them will win in the end in the points per possession battle if they try that. If they end up not, though, for some reason, like what would be the – you just default then to P.J. Tucker on Anthony Davis? Do they get weird and try and like get by with 
you know, is Jeff Green even still on this team? It's been so long since I've watched basketball. Like, do you, do you go like that far off the rails? I, I, it's so in my mind, it's just so now that you've talked about the Harden guarding Anthony Davis, it's just so tough for me to find something that seems like a viable alternative that you don't end up sacrificing what could happen with LeBron. Because I know there's not, you're not going to stop him. You're probably not even really going to slow him. You said you have a, a ton of different bodies to throw at him, but I, I would think that I feel if I'm the Rockets a lot better about this series if when all said and done, not knowing the outcome, but you can say P.J. Tucker ended up being LeBron James's primary defender. I would think that that's the situation that you want to get to. I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to start games with P.J. Tucker on LeBron. And as far as who ends up ending the game guarding um, Anthony Davis, I if you're going with the safe pick, I guess it's Robert Covington. I But if you're going with... like. If you're going with the math, if you're going to play the math game, I, I you would guess it might be James Harden. I, I it's just is just something I would I would try if I were them. At, at the very least, I would try that. And you know, in in my heart of hearts, I think they should do that. And it, like if I if I'm going to lean into this strategy, I'm going to maximize every single advantage I have, and that's an advantage I have. So I'm going to do it. Right, and I mean, even if it ends up being a complete flop for some reason, there's still the scenario where you're just out in front so much on offense that it doesn't even matter. And so, like, I know this is kind of a crude way of looking at things, but the Rockets make almost 15 threes per 100 possessions, where you compare that to the Lakers, and they're at 11. And so that's like, you can go into a game, like, let's say with a, like, plus nine points right off the bat, because let's say you know you're going to make at least three more three-pointers than the Lakers. And so that does give you some margin for error to not just experiment defensively, but but actually fail defensively, particularly if it's not wide open threes that you're giving up. And, and even if it is, you don't know, depending on what lineup the Lakers run out, you can't say for sure that, hey, they have the shooters um, that, that you can guarantee you're going to knock down those looks because who's their, aside from Danny Green, who's their second most trustworthy shooter? I feel like it's probably Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. At this point, and that can't really be like maybe it's maybe it's LeBron by default, and look, that's fine. Um, but then you know, after him, you're still going to get into you know, KCP if he's going to be considered your your second best or your second most trustworthy shooter, or maybe do you get to a point because we've seen Danny Green go cold in the playoffs before? Um, both the Raptors and and Spurs fans know what I'm I'm talking about. Where if KCP is is supposed to be your money shooter, that's not exactly the most ideal position to find yourself in. Yeah, and. In free agency this summer, I was just rack, racking my brain against the wall, like looking at this roster construction for the Lakers. I don't know how they have forty nine wins. Like it, it's just, <laughs> it, it, they're obviously an awesome NBA team, and you have to give them the credit for what they've done this season. But their roster construction is just so goofy. Like I, I keep looking at it, and I'm like, this is just a weird, a weird roster. Like what NBA team is playing a center like Anthony Davis at power forward in, in, today in today's game? Like that just, it just doesn't happen. It, it, he's playing center on 29 other teams. It's it, it's very strange. But the the Lakers have found defense success that way, so I guess you can't question the madness. But yeah, I mean, against this, against a team like the Rockets, that kind of advantage is really downplayed. Downplayed. It, it's turned into a negative. It's turned against you. Here's what I'll say. Frank Vogel, and I know it's been a while, he is a pretty creative playoff coach. I've seen him do some, mm-hmm. some stuff for the Pacers in the Eastern Conference and really push teams that, that those Pacers teams weren't meant to push. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in that they'll find creative solutions around all this. And obviously, you know, they came this far, they won 49 games. He obviously knows what the hell he's doing. 
So I, I think they'll figure some stuff out around the edges, but I think, I think what you mentioned off the off the onset, like yeah, I think I think the Rockets are going to go into the game with some sort of edge because of the way they just the way they play basketball as compared to the way the the Lakers play basketball. I I, I think that's gonna that's a real that's a real calculation you have to put into this. Yeah, and it's you know do the Lakers lean into it? like try and match the way the Rockets play when Anthony Davis is, is off the court. You know, honestly, who is their center in those minutes? Do you try it with Kyle Kuzma, even though he's probably better off defensively? You know, maybe it doesn't matter against the Rockets because you're talking about um, P.J. Tucker as their center for some of those minutes. But he's all, Kyle Kuzma has always been a little bit better off defending the smaller players. And P.J. Tucker is just really strong and a money three-point shooter. I guess it helps that you know he's not going to put the ball on the floor. But who who is your backup center? In this series, and that so that's a question you have to answer. Even if you get to a point where you're surviving adequately, surviving or thriving during the, the Anthony Davis minutes, uh, it's you have to figure out where the rest of those minutes at the five are going. And maybe that only ends up being eight to ten minutes a game, but but that's a lot. And my guess would be at this point, it's probably a Markeith Morris in this series, and that's probably you know you look at uh, the front court of Davis, LeBron, and, and Markeith Morris. That might end up being a, a trio where they haven't really played too much together. They they haven't had the time to, but they really weren't on the floor together all that much uh, relative to the opportunities they had, that might end up being just a super important front court combination for them when you look at how the Rockets play and, and how they're built. Yeah, so that leads me into an important question. I, and I think the, the answer here is pretty obvious. The most important stat in this series, in your opinion, and why? And to me, I think the obvious answer here is actually the correct answer. It's, it's rebounding, right? Like the Rockets only lost the rebounding battle by one in that February matchup. And they limited the Lakers to six offensive rebounds. Like you would think the Lakers would have much more than that against a team like this, right? Because they have such a huge size advantage. You would think they would pound that 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 rebound that offensive glass in order to make up for what they don't have on the perimeter and, and you know, try to make up that point differential, but they didn't in this game. Obviously it's only one game. But they the Rockets are not gonna win that matchup over the course of a seven game series. But if they can keep that as close as, as they possibly can, if they can, you know, lose rebounding battles by like two, three at most, then they're in it, right? Like that then you're talking about a perimeter based game in which the Rockets come out on top. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. There I'm sure there's an argument to be made that, you know, the most important stat might also just be the the made three pointers because it seems like Oh, it might yeah. be. It might be, yeah. Just because, yes, the Rockets take so many, so you have that variance there. But the Lakers are such a, you know, you look at their their offense and, like, yeah, maybe they've outperformed expectations on defense a little bit. But you just kind of look at the types of shots that they take on offense and it's like, how is this team sixth in offensive rating? Like, it does. I know they have LeBron, but it doesn't make all that sense. And then they've actually had a pretty good offense when LeBron is off the court. It's been the defense that's the problem during those stretches. And so that's why I might gravitate towards three-point uh, makes a little bit, but I, I think it I, just looking at at rebounds and second chance opportunities specifically for the Lakers. Then what you know, let's say they do get a ton of second chance opportunities. Like, what are those turning into? Like, are we assuming that they're just putbacks, or you know, guys are going right back up? Or are they able to kick out for for threes when Houston's defense is is kind of scrambled? So that that might matter as well. So I, I think you could probably go either way, but rebounding certainly seems like a good choice because there's such a there's a discrepancy between the way the Rockets play and every team plays right now, basically. But there's a huge chasm between how the Rockets play and, and then how the Lakers play. You know, we've talked about 1990s basketball going up against a modern day game for years, right? This is a conversation we've had about the NBA for the past, like since 2014, since the, that Spurs team that really pushed the heat. Um, 
and and won that title up. Like I, we've talked about that kind of basketball matchup forever, and this might be a case where we might just see it like unfold <laughs> before our very eyes. Like nineteen nineties basketball versus a twenty twenty offense and a twenty twenty defense. Like the Rockets defensively are modern too because they switch everything. And the and the Lakers play a very conventional style of defense, and and the Rockets obviously offensively they sp- they space the floor out. They don't run a ton of pick and roll. Like like they're even more modern in that sense, in that they isolate on every single possession. They they're beyond the point of playing pick and roll basketball because they've realized that pick and roll basketball is just easier to defend than straight up one on one isolation with James Harden in, in a space floor. So the extreme to which they take it though makes me is it is it even modern? It might even just be anomalous at this point too, which makes the series even that much more intriguing. And maybe the one counter against that would be like the Lakers probably aren't as traditional when they have Anthony Davis at the five, which I know they've gone to increasingly um, later on in the season, but it is, they are used to for stretches at a time playing with, with two bigs. And so they're either going to be pulled somewhat out of their element, if not way out of their element, um, or, you know, maybe they're, Maybe they're able to sort of just the way they play is able to counteract what what the Rockets do a little bit. So it is that's looking at this matchup. Maybe we get a little bit of an answer when you look at the the Nuggets a Rocket series that would perhaps have to take place unless um, Denver ends up crapping the bed in the in the first round. Uh, so oh no, it is the first round matchup against the Rockets. Excuse me. So maybe we get an answer during a series like that. But yeah, it certainly seems like we would get. Uh, everything we've wanted to know about the Rockets and whether this style can can last and win at the highest level, it seems like the Lakers might be the perfect opponent in terms of the ultimate test. Like what what happens with this series, if it's close or if they actually win, that's probably just the, the consummate um, vote of confidence that the Rockets would need to continue building their team this way moving forward. I mean, this is like the greatest first take series, right? Like you, you just imagine <laughs> that, like people arguing about this series for days, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. Um, so defensively, I actually think the Lakers have uh, some pretty decent options against Harden one on one. I think you know Danny Green's been a shown himself to be a pretty competent James Harden defender over the years. Uh, I think I think you can throw Avery Bradley at him. I think you can throw you know for, for some stretches. I don't I don't I'm not sure if you want to throw him out for many minutes, but like KCP might see mm-hmm. some time against Harden. the The problem is if you throw your best defender up against Harden, that secondary option to guard Westbrook is pretty barren uh, because like you, you're talking about. I mean, like, okay, so let's just say the Lakers throw out a lineup of LeBron, Anthony Davis, JaVale, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, right? Like, so obviously Danny Green is going to guard, is going to guard Harden. So who guards Westbrook? Is that going to be Avery Bradley? Like, how well does he fare in a matchup against Westbrook? Like, like Avery Bradley of two or three years ago, for sure. I 100% trust him against Westbrook. Avery Bradley of 2020, like, you know, we've talked about the statistical stuff with Avery Bradley for years, right? Like, that's just, it's just a weird black box that, that I, I feel even more <laughs> comfortable discussing. But, like, against against Russell Westbrook in 2020, that matchup is a little shaky. But I, I do like what the Lakers have to throw up against Harden. Yeah, for, for Harden, yes. I, I do wonder if the Lakers might consider doing what the Jazz did with Rudy Gobert on Westbrook, but using Anthony Davis instead because oh, interesting. Yeah. he ends up being someone that where it doesn't end up being as big of a mismatch just because you look at the way he he moves his feet and it's, um, you know, Rudy Gobert is just really coordinated himself, but Anthony Davis's length is just more, it feels more functional, like fluid, um, particularly when you're dragging him away from the basket. And so if you look at that, uh, I don't know that you actually run into, because the Rockets aren't going to have true size on the court, you probably don't run into really matchup 
issues elsewhere at that point unless uh you know is Russell Westbrook able to get by him anyway just because he has so much uh so much of a runway uh is he you know he's been hitting his threes at a fairly high clip since Capella was last in rotation and so if he's hitting outside shots then you have to probably look at uh, changing up the matchup, but I would wonder if the Lakers might might go that route where they're they're mirroring what the Jazz did with Rudy Gobert, except that it, it actually kind of works because Anthony Davis is the the more I'd probably say the more portable big in that scenario. No, I, I you've convinced me. I, I think I think it's, it is Anthony Davis. Like, I, who else does Anthony does Anthony Davis guard PJ Tucker out there on the perimeter? Like, no, I I think it's I think the obvious answer might be just he guards Westbrook. Yeah, it's maybe it is maybe that is obvious. I didn't even really think about that. And who would have thought, you know, that is definitely like a 2020 matchup is Anthony Davis versus yeah. Russell Westbrook. It is, right? It it is just such an interesting series. Well, like like they're just so diametrically different. Like you can't find two more different teams in the NBA than the Rockets and the Lakers. You know, maybe the Bucks to some extent are pretty similar to the Lakers, but they have much more depth and they can play more versus they can play more versatile than the Lakers can defensively. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it seems to me that if I were Frank Vogel, I would at least, you know, to start the game, I would at least try Anthony Davis guarding uh, Westbrook. I, and I, it'd be interesting to see if the Nuggets try Jokic against Westbrook to start in, in round that one. Would, there's no way that ends well. I'd be shocked if that ended well for Denver. <laughs> well, sure, but I, I would at least try it. You know, just, 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 just try it out for two or three minutes. And if... if if that ends up working well for the Nuggets, then you there's no doubt in my mind that in the Western Conference the Lakers throw that with Anthony Davis because as Anthony Davis is obviously as you said more portable than Rudy Gobert, he is infinitely more portable than Nikola <laughs> Jokic. Um, yeah, I mean I, I I agree. Like matchup wise, it is really interesting the way these guys are going to cross match positionally. Uh, probably more than any other series in the playoffs, you're going to see a lot more cross matching here. Um, so. Let's end on this. Who wins this series and in how many games? So it's interesting. I feel almost as good about the Rockets in this matchup than any other series. The transition to micro ball has boosted my confidence in them against the Lakers. Before then, I really didn't trust them against the Lakers. I thought the Lakers were just better because the Rockets were playing a traditional style of basketball. And I thought the Lakers played traditional basketball way better than the Rockets. Right. Um, The only thing I question is could they even reach the Western Conference Finals? I think the Clippers are a pretty good bet to eliminate the Rockets before they get to that point. Because I think they, versatility-wise, defensively, the Clippers are as versatile as any team in the NBA. Like, like the, the, the Lakers are really good defensively, but they're not versatile. The Clippers are versatile. They can, they can throw a bunch of different bodies at both Westbrook and Harden and play micro ball almost better than the Rockets. I mean, probably better than the Rockets. And... That that's my only question. If they if they if they can even get to the conference finals, I think if it's if it's Rockets, Lakers in the Western Conference, I might just pick the Rockets. Like I might pick the Rockets in seven games, and I I, I know I'm that's that's betting that the Rockets win on the road, but I don't see this being a seven. Ga- I don't see this being a six game series. Like I, in my head, I just I can't see this this series ending in six and the Rockets coming out on top. I, I think if it ends in seven, the Rockets end up on top. I I would say. I almost want to see this series more than a Clippers-Lakers, uh, and not almost. I think I do, just because it feels like there are more questions that would be fun to answer, and I also kind of have the Clippers in a seven-game series based off the, you know, them defending Anthony Davis could really be a problem for them, but it, it feels like that's a series that could end uh, a lot more quickly than, than people realize, and so Rockets-Lakers would be more entertaining to me. I would probably go Lakers in in seven, and there's 
I think a few things I just default to, and so you touched upon already, is that if the Rockets get to the Western Conference Finals at all, you look at the two teams they've gone through. I'd be shocked if yeah, you know if it's cast. yeah yeah if if they're going through five game series, I'll be shocked if there's a series that lasted less than five games in in that scenario. Then and then also uh, is is Russell Westbrook the way he's playing now? I know it's it's bizarre that we've taken this long to get to a point um, with Russell Westbrook that he's actually surrounded. By shooting, the fact that it never really happened in Oklahoma City is just still wild. Uh, it, it's but if you can get him to maybe not finish all of his drives and he sort of reverts back to some of that that pull up stuff, I could see that being sort of a, a huge swing card in the wrong direction um, for Houston. And then and then the other thing is while the Rockets are, I do think built to beat the Lakers even when they have Anthony Davis at the five. I'm still of the mind that the Lakers are at their best when Anthony Davis is your full-time five. And so you're inviting or forcing the Lakers to play as the best version of themselves in this series. And that's why I I probably just, in the end, when you look at everything else that comes into play here, I would still tilt towards the Lakers. But it doesn't feel like a series, like you said, if we're talking five or seven games, it feels like one that would go the distance however long that ends up being. No, I think it's fair. Like I mean they've been the better team all season. Like it's it's only it's only right that 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 the Lakers are the heavy favorite. Like I think going into if if this series were to happen, like the Lakers would be a heavy heavy favorite in terms of the Vegas line. But yeah, I mean I I I personally I I just the matchup to me is really it hurts the Lakers more than any other team in the NBA. And I it feels weird to be this confident against a 49-win Lakers team. Um, but I, to me, this Lakers team, I've always had problems with their roster construction going back to the summer, as I talked about earlier. And in this matchup, it really hurts them. The the way they goofily set up their roster around LeBron, and you know, it, it's a credit to Frank Vogel that he's made it work to this mm-hmm. point. But the depth issues, to me, will really come back to bite them in the end. But yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's pretty fair either way what, whether or not you pick the Rockets or Lakers I think I they really think it, it might be a coin flip series when it comes down to it. Yeah, and it, what's really tough to reconcile too is the Lakers have so many obvious holes and they're a better built team than they were last year, but that's not that's not really a compliment. Uh, but the fact that they've won so many games and been as good as they have been during the regular season, like you, it it almost feels like when I'm nitpicking over what seems to be wrong with them. It almost feels wrong on for me on, on my end because it's like, well, they've been the second best team in the league. And yeah. you know, there was a chance with the Bucks kind of fading a little bit. Like, could they have technically finished with the best regular season record? And then you really just can't ignore that. But the Rockets are definitely set up to give them more problems in the West than any other team besides the Clippers. And I don't think that's even a, a real question at this point. No, I I one hundred percent agree. And it's kind of it's kind of weird how Frank Vogel hasn't gotten more Coach of the Year buzz for what he's done with this team. Like I really do think it's re- probably one of the more impressive jobs, impressive coaching jobs in the NBA this season, and it just hasn't gotten much attention because like I guess people, a lot of people just assumed this Lakers team would be good, but I had serious doubts, and did they? They finished a lot better than anybody I think thought they would be. I mean, did 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 you think the Lakers would be the number one team in the Western Conference before the season started? No, I thought they'd be like I thought. Like, like maybe they could contend for two, but I kind of had them in that three, four, five range. And you almost like forget about the basketball. The fact that there hasn't been a mutiny in Los Angeles, Frank Vogel deserves a ton of credit for that. You have LeBron's teams are inherently dramatic. Like there are always those rumors that leak out. And we're not talking last year's level 
um, when Anthony Davis was just so obviously going ahead to the Lakers at some point. But you look at those Cleveland teams, um, those four seasons, there were always just these these crazy trade rumors. And so you expect that. And the Lakers never really had that this year, aside from the Kyle Kuzma stuff. But it never felt like that was an actual uh, a rift in the locker room or anything. You also have Dwight Howard. You have Rondo. Uh, and just to have nothing go wrong. Like to have Dwight Jason Howard have Kidd? this. Yeah, Jason Kidd's. You have, first of all, you have like eight head coaches on your coaching staff. And the fact that there wasn't any like backstabbing being reported about, they were too good for it to happen. But that's the other thing is they were working with a razor-thin margin for error, or at least he was. Maybe he doesn't get fired this season, but there certainly would have been rumors had the Lakers stumbled at any point because Jason Kidd was there. And not only is he someone you know wants to be a head coach, he interviewed for the job that Frank Vogel has. And so there's just so many things that could have gone wrong or it seemed like would eventually go wrong for the Lakers this year. And right down to the way they've played on the court, the fact that it that stuff hasn't really reared its head in, in any form. I think Kyle Kuzma, you know, we talk about their depth issues, but their bench overall has been pretty good this year. Just when you look at the numbers and, and what they need, when you look at how deep their rotations are going, their biggest issue has probably been, you know, Kyle Kuzma's not the player that we we maybe thought that they, they that he was going to be, but that they need him to be for this team. And so that's obviously a concern, but if that's your biggest problem, knowing all else that could have gone wrong. That that's a heck of a job done by everyone involved. But yeah, you maybe Nick Nurse has just kind of cannibalized too much of the the attention, but it certainly seems like Vogel should probably be at least top three on that coach of the year ballot. Yeah, Lionel Hollins is an assistant coach on this team. Like, there's just so much there. Like, there's just so much there. Like, you're right. Like, the fact that there wasn't there wasn't any any sort of sign of a of a mutiny in this locker room is really impressive. And like, uh, like I you just get the you just get the sense that LeBron respects Vogel in a sense that like he's playing the best defense he's ever had since 2013. Like mm-hmm. I, it's it's really impressive the way he's played for Vogel in a way that he hasn't played for you know Ty Lue or you know Spolstra at the end of the at the end of that tenure. Like it's it, it's to me that to me is like the biggest like to, to get your players to buy in defensively to this extent. Like that to me is like the biggest like the biggest quality of a of a of a really really good head coach. Uh, getting your players to buy in on that end of the floor. But yeah. Um, this was fun. It was fun talking about basketball for a minute and not the impending doom of our planet. You know, that that, that to me yeah. is always a good day. Yeah, no, same here. Hoops is a hoops is still a, a great escape. Yeah, for sure. Where can we follow you on Twitter and, and read your work? Uh it's just my name is my handle on Twitter at Dan Favale, F A V A L E. And um I write for Bleach Report over there full time. So if you want to see my stuff, you can obviously follow me on Twitter or just search my name and uh, my, my page of Bleach Report will come up and you can read all of my mediocre to sub-mediocre articles over there. Well, this was fun, Dan. Thanks, for, thanks you so much for coming on. No problem. Thank you for having me.